Hey, Marietta. What? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If either of them falls down, the other one can help the other up. But pity the poor man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Awesome. So anyway, when we used to do this, when we first did this, uh, these sessions, we called this class A Cord of Three Strands, and it was that passage from Ecclesiastes that we took this from. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, agreement, agreement between a husband and a wife, agreement in this one flesh relationship. And uh, the word agree means, in the Greek, is the word symphoneo, symphoneo. And it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Symphoneo. I mean, you can tell what that comes from. We get our word symphony from that. And it means the Greek sum, meaning together, and phoneo to sound. So symphoneo is to sound together or to be in accord, to be in harmony, to be in agreement. Let me keep going? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, t- what? So tonight, we're going to be, let me get situated here. Tonight, talking about agreement. And um, in Matthew 18, um, in chapter 18, Jesus says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And so the issue of agreement in this one flesh relationship is a big issue, and it's a challenge for a lot of couples. We've noticed that it's a challenge for a lot of couples. We know that as a couple that there are a lot of decisions that have to be made. Some of the decisions are really kind of innocuous or minor. They're not a big deal. And so you guys may already have a system down for those small decisions that are not a big deal, things like things that won't count two days from now. Um, you might alternate between the husband and the wife in making these decisions, or one of the one of the one of the partners in the one flesh relationship may have some specific knowledge or a specific understanding. So in that case, you might just defer to that person in the one flesh relationship that has better knowledge. Okay. And you might, in some cases, we even see couples that they make decisions. Um, somebody will be responsible for a decision over a certain period of time, and then they'll shift, and the other people, the other person will make those decisions. But in cases where there are big decisions that need to be made, really big things, and I'm talking about the things where the effects of your decisions are going to last for a long period of time, and in some cases might even be eternal in nature, we're talking about agreement tonight and coming to an agreement in those cases. Um, so that's what this lesson uh, is all about. Some of those areas that might need to um, 
that where we where we need to have agreement, those areas that are bigger in nature would be things like your children. How do you raise your children? How do you deal with financial issues? And then um, spiritual things as well. How do you how do you walk with the Lord together in a one flesh relationship? Now there could be some other things that are of that nature as well, where you have to make decisions that are big, long-lasting decisions. But tonight we're going to specifically focus on these three areas Um, because as we have dealt with this class for a long time, we we almost continuously, and I I almost said always, and after last week I can't use the word always anymore, right? But um, anyway, we, we very often see that couples really struggle in three areas. So let's talk about children. And we're going to include all children in your household, even if they're stepchildren or whether they're foster kids, adopted, stepchildren, or biological. Everybody in the household has to be treated exactly the same. And um, the rules have to be the same for all the kids. Whatever you're doing with the kids, how you're handling them while they're in your care, you can't control when they're in the other parent's care, but a child in your care has to be treated and be subject to the same requirements that your children are. Um, When we talked about getting married, most of us, including Greg and I, didn't go seek out any help before we got married. We didn't go through any counseling or training. We just got married because, you know, it's real easy to do. You go down to the courthouse. You give them some money. They give you a marriage license. You get a pastor or somebody else to say, you know, bless you, you're married, husband, wife. Sign the paper. You're married. No training required unless you can't fill out the form. And then they have people to assist you. But beyond that, most people don't get additional help. And really... When it comes to our kids, it's kind of the same way. We have them. We can do it. We're married. And, and, and we don't really think through a lot of the decisions ahead of time, and sometimes not even when they're really little like your little one is. And, you know, so there's questions that need to be answered, like when, peop- when people are dating, like, do you want kids? Are you gonna, do you ever want kids? Because one says yes, the other one says no. It's adios, and you've got to go find someone else, right? Um, but later on as you move through it, what are the goals for our daughter or our son? What goals should we have for them? What, how are we going to raise them? What's, what's look, what does that look like? Rather than just wake up and do it day by day, what does that look like? What do we want to accomplish in them as young people? Um, how do we discipline them? Most people, including me, I... The discipline was, you know, when it happened, that's when we dealt with it. We didn't think ahead of time of laying out a foundation or a groundwork of how do you discipline your kids. And how do we encourage them? A lot of parents, I I, I know one parent, every time she drove her kids to school on the way to school, she would tell them great things about themselves, how how great they were, how special they were, how what they could accomplish in life. And that was her time. Greg, when 
you were a kid, your dad woke you up every morning with, um, get up. Yeah, he said, it's time to get up. It's, he said, Greg, get up. It's another day in which to excel. And that's how he spoke. He, and I, don't, I know that he didn't realize this, but he was speaking a blessing over me. Mm-hmm. And so how much help do we give them as they grow into adults and teenagers, college? How much help do we give them? And then when they become adult children, what are we going to do to help them? Because even adult, young adults still need some help. And is there going to be any help? Is it financial help? Is it just direction and, and coming over for a meal? What's that look like? But as, as kids begin, as kids are born and progress and then begin to leave your home, these are, this is the area that a lot of parents struggle, a lot of pe- married couples struggle in because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in between. Right. So what we, te- what we teach is that obviously raising your children, whether or not they're um, your own children, foster children, children that came to you by a marriage, it's always a one-flesh rela- uh, responsibility to raise those kids. What that means and what that looks like is that the husband and the wife are truly a team to raise the children, and, and they have res- joint responsibility for that. We never allow the wife to become the default child rearer, no matter or or the husband in some cases, if it, depending on what the uh, who the who the main wage earner is. Um, also. Biblically speaking, the husband ultimately has responsibility before the Lord God Almighty for how his children are raised. I mean, that's very clear. It's scripturally clear that the husband has the ultimate responsibility. Um, What we would encourage you here tonight in regards to raising kids is that you're not afraid to seek wise and godly counsel to, to, to understand how better to parent your children. And we also want you to set boundaries for each other. Right. And so just like we set boundaries for when you're going to have, get into some conflict, we want you to set boundaries around what, how you're going to handle your kids. And one of the things that we see quite often is that one parent will talk negatively about the other parent to the child. The child becomes the friend whenever something is going wrong with one of the parents. And then so that child takes up an offense. We learned about this in the forgiveness mode. Takes up an offense against the father. It's usually a mom that does it, but dads can do it. And the child will take up an offense against the other the parent that's being talked bad about and then that child can never resolve it the parents make up and the child's left not respecting the, usually it's the dad not respecting the dad not listening to him um not respecting the mom after a bit of time cuz she keeps going back to what they think is this big you know disaster and it it just it creates so much drama for the the child. So we're going to ask you that as you set boundaries around that, that you don't talk, even as adults, you do not talk negatively about each other to your children. 
And you don't want to share everybody's problems with your kids because kids talk. So if your friend tells you something and then you tell your kid, I guarantee you it's going to get back to your friend. Um, even, even if kids are adults. And this goes all the way through. And you want to check with your spouse. This is another rule that you can, boundary you can set up. But check with each other. We found real quick that one would come to me and ask if they could do something, and I would say no. Then they would go to Greg and ask the same question. And he didn't know I just told him no. And so he'd say yes. Now, who won? And who drove? And who, where is the wedge? It is between us. So our standard answer became, I'll check with your dad, or I'll check with your, uh, you know, Greg would say, I'd check with your, you know, I'll check with your, I was a stepmom, I'll check with your Marietta. So um, uh, you always want to check with each other so you don't run into that problem. And then if you have a difference of opinion regarding that, you don't want to handle it in front of the child. And that seems like, well, duh, but, you know, if you're in a small house, you, you've got to make allowances to find a way to get by yourselves where you can't be overheard to discuss that. All right. So let's, let's talk about another area where you would want to come into agreement uh, and always be in agreement in regards to the raising of your kids, and that's discipline. Discipline should always be memorable enough to be remembered. In other words, the, the child remembers the discipline, but it doesn't cause any per, permanent damage. So if you can hit that sweet spot in regards to discipline, you're, you're working well. It's chubby What's that? I said it's chubby and they sit on it. What's that? The sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> Man, where did that come from? <laughs> I'm talking about discipline here. So it's it's fitting for the for the for whatever the offense was that the child committed, um, and age appropriate, obviously. Um, it's consistent. It's always consistently delivered. It's never done in anger, so we don't discipline our kids when we're still angry. We want to make sure that if we are angry, that we cool off first. And you can use tools like, well, I'm going to, we're going to do something about this, and I'm going to check with, you know, your mom before, our, before I decide what we're going to do. And that will allow you to cool off. Um, we like to say that discipline is always done privately. It's not in front of other people, even relatives or strangers or or any, anybody like that, it's not, not in front of siblings. It's a private matter between the, the parent and the child. Um, if your child is acting out, you know, we really encourage that, uh, that, that you remove the child before you begin to address the issue um, from public view. One thing that I will say, and I see this from time to time, and it's really kind of a hot button for, for me in particular, but... One of the things you never want to do in regards to disciplining your child is, is to belittle them or curse them or cuss at them or, or call them names, any, any sort. And we're going to address a lot more of this issue in a, next, in a, in a lesson over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to say go ahead. I recently had a child who's about eight years old tell me with his eyes downcast that his father was calling him a sissy because of the choices he was making wanting to watch a certain movie wanting to do 
different things that he felt were sissy. And so, and he was obviously took it very personally and was struggling with, with what his dad was calling him. So even, you know, we have to really watch, and we'll talk about this in in one of the next two weeks, what we say to the kids, call the, you know, the names even in jest that we call them. Right. If you dished out discipline, in other words, you made a decision, you need to stick with it. And um, you also need to make sure that you communicate the disciplinary procedures clearly to your child before they kick in so that if you're going to discipline your, your, your child, this is going to be the rule of this action results in this discipline, you communicate that to the child before it actually comes into play at a level that they can understand, if that makes sense. So, On that, on ditching it out and not changing your mind, it is so easy to make a decision while you're angry. Like one time I gave one of them a month's restriction, and two weeks into it I realized that, man, that was pretty, I should let them off, but there's no way I can do it because then every time they're going to think that what I say, so I learned how to not make a decision while I was angry through that and wait and use the excuse, we're going to discuss it and we're going to let you know what your punishment is. And might not be until tomorrow, but it's coming. <laughs> and sometimes the wait was worse than the actual punishment. Okay. The amplified version of Ephesians 6, 4 says, and, and, and the interesting thing about this passage is that it comes at the end of a, a passage that defines the roles of husbands and wives, and then, it, and then, the, and then Paul continues on and starts talking about children, and he says, Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of the Lord. So, really, that is such a perfect example of how God treats us as God the Father. He is training us up, with, and, 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 but he's doing it in a way that's tenderly, the, the fact that we are chastened by the Lord is an act of love, and, and we want to do that same thing to our kids as well. Um, let's talk about rules very quickly. You want to make rules before you need them so that, as we talked about before, the kids understand that they have certain boundaries. You want to make sure that those rules line up with bib- biblical principles. Um, don't make too many rules. We, we, we have seen this from time to time. Um, but you want to keep it kind of simple so that the kids can understand and, and they can still be kids because kids are kids. It's awesome to be a kid. And you want them to be able to enjoy that within the confines of a, a, a larger boundary that you prescribe. But let them have room to be a kid. They only get to do that once. Amen? Um, don't change the rules. I mean, stick with them. I mean, if, if you're changing them all the time, there's no way that the child can understand that. And so the, you make sure that everyone, everyone, and I'm talking about everyone, knows and understands the rules. So in our case, as a one-flesh couple, Marietta would know the rules. I would know the rules. The girls would know the rules. Everybody knew the rules. 
So we. They knew the rules really good. I know. Uh, (laughs) So we had a rule in our house that everybody had to eat a little bit of everything. So whatever's on your plate, you had to try it. That meant you had to have at least two spoons or forkfuls, not one little piece of a corner. (laughs) We had the rule. And one day we're sitting down to eat, and Greg says, I didn't know this, but he says, "Uh, I don't like lentils. I'm not eating this. And the girls both looked at him and said, but, Daddy, everybody has to eat a little bit of everything. And I thought Greg was going to cut my head off with his eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was a rule. Anyway, I, so, I, so I ate the lentils, and they and were good. And what happened? And they were good. And you liked them. I know. And you I wanted to, more. Yeah. Okay. Okay, big deal. It's a good point for the kids, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but they, the cool thing was is that they knew the rules. Daddy, you have to eat too. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so let's talk about communication a little bit. Um, you want to make sure that you're encouraging your child, and we say encourage your child with words, deeds, and actions. And you're loving your child in the, in the same way, with words, deeds, and actions. And we, we talked about love during the first week of this course One of the things that we always want in terms of communication with your children, do not lie to your kids, even when you're joking. We see this happen a lot, and this actually is pretty tough on on kids. You can write it off as joking, but, you know, a lot of times kids don't get it. They don't get the joke. They just know that there's, there's truth and there's not truth. And these are two things that are polar opposites. And while we can operate in a joke area, they cannot. So be careful with joking. Give them an example of a joke lie. Well, you, like I can't come up with one. You can't? You do what? There was an example that we were talking I, about. Yeah. No. Well, you tell it. <laughs> I thought, what was the guy? So. Oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he, he would joke with his kids about what he was do, what he was doing for work and they thought he was telling the truth but he was joking and so they start repeating that to their friends and then they find out that he was just joking and they're like well you lied to me so you have to be real careful cuz sometimes there is no in little kids there is no gray it's one way or the other you want to make sure that you're, uh, in terms of communication, part of the, the love and encouragement is that you're actually spending time with your kids so that you understand who they are as little people. I mean, it's very important. And I, when, I, when we say that, we're talking about focus time, not necessarily time in front of the television set, not time where you're kind of distracted by other things, but time where you're literally purposing to focus on your kids. And make sure that you're not letting the majority of the time that you interact with your kids be in the form of discipline. That's not right. If it's if that's the type of balance that, that you currently have, you need to move away from that so that the majority of the time you're encouraging your kids and very little time is actually spent in discipline. You know, we're all, we all complain. It's really easy to complain. It's You go to the store manager when the cashier or the waiter or the waitress doesn't treat you right. You call the company who... You know, you've had a bad experience with, but how many times do we really take the time to do those same phone calls for someone who has excelled? 
those same letters probably that much, right? So I really struggled with that because I could write a really good letter. (laughs) And I decided, I guess maybe uh, 14, 15 years ago, that what I would do is I had to have, I think it was three positive letters or phone calls to about somebody making you know con- telling the manager that they were a good employee that they you know that they, that they had excelled to every one complaint and if i didn't have 3 i couldn't complain <laughs> so that's how i did it to kind of get over that but we can get in that same habit especially sure. if you're working all day and you're getting your child for the first time you're tired you've been at it you know you've been up early now you've got dinner to face and it's real easy to be on them immediately and so we can get to that same point with our kids and we have to be cognizant of that we've got to balance our time we want to tell you a a, a real story just so that you understand that we do really face some of these things but um, our youngest daughter was living with us, and she was going to college, as a matter of fact. And and uh, we got we got into a situation where she was a little bit rebellious. Pretty actually, it was a lot rebellious. I'll just tell you the truth, man. It was pretty tough. And we were kind of going around and around with her. It was pretty. I mean, I thought, oh God, what are what are we going to do here? Um, so one one night one afternoon. We had to call her out to have one of those talks. And we were sitting in the living room, and and we called her out of her bedroom, and she knew that we needed to talk. And Marietta and I were sitting on the sofa beside each other, and she came out, and she sat in the chair kind of at an angle to us, and she looked up. She's 19 or 20 years old at the time. She goes, I do not like to talk to you guys like this. And I said, well, why not? She goes, you two together have too much power. And I'm like, here, I was like, I said, the way I reacted was, oh, we do. But inside I was going. <laughs> because what she was understanding is that we were operating in exactly this one flesh relationship. And she saw that. When she walked out of her bedroom, she actually saw what was taking place. There's too much power there. And what can happen with that power is that we complement each other, right? Each of you as husband and wife complement each other. You come at the same situation from different perspectives, and you both bring something that makes your your knowledge about the, the situation a whole. And what would happen invariably is we'd sit down together, Greg would ask her a question, she'd answer it. And... It would be, you know, I'll just give you, I'm not going to give you a real question, but uh, he would say, is the dashboard of that car black? Yes. And I'd say, is it any other color? And then she would give me an answer. And then I'd say, is there any other color besides those two colors? How many other colors? And I drilled down to where she had to give us not the surface answer she wanted us to hear, but the deep answer that we were trying to get to. What were you doing last night? Okay, so you can imagine 
we, I didn't ask her the colors of the car. I, we were dealing with a situation. Where were you last night? And so we're drilling down to get to that point. And if we had left it, at the, if Greg had done this alone, he wouldn't have had um, my perspective coming at it from a different angle to where we would have really known what had been going on. And, and you told me later, right, yeah. that you, yeah. would, you never thought to go down the path that I went down in order to get the information. That was some good stuff, though. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. There's too much power. You guys are too powerful. Yes, we are. Because God's in the middle of it. <clears throat> so, anyway, so you want to bring your children up in the maturity of Christ, recognizing that you are, when I say you are, I'm talking about the both of you, the role model for your children. So you need to be an imitator of Christ. Be quick to admit mistakes and ask for forgiveness from your child if that's what's required. You want to train them up in God's Word. Make sure that that they understand what what God's Word is. And you can use this body or other bodies as, as, as a resource. You want to make sure that God is the center of your home and that they understand that God is the center of your home. I really think that that was part of what what our daughter was dealing with is, is she knew exactly what, who the center of the home was. Um, you want to know who your child's friend, children's friends are, uh, both at school and at home. Be involved with the teachers. And, and really, if you want your children to say something or to do something, you need to be walking it out in front of them. Now, that's sometimes tough, but you, that's just really the way it is. Um, and if you don't want them to be saying something or doing something, you need not to be doing it as well. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. Now, listen, key point as we leave and go on to a, a, another area here. Culturally, we've gotten to a time where the kids have a lot of control in the families. But the truth of the matter is, is that biblically, the child is to leave and cleave. They're supposed to go away. That's scriptural. So you're raising them up to be in a position to leave and cleave. And when they're gone, who's left? Well, in Marietta and I's case, we are. It's us. It's us. So they're going to go away. So you don't want to be selling this relationship short when you're talking about your children and raising your kids. You love your kids. There's no doubt about it. But the thing about it is is that they're, if, 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 if they do what is biblically prescribed, they go away, and you and your husband or wife are still left in this one flesh relationship. And so we don't want any discord to come from, the, from your children into this into this relationship. It has no place there. And, you know, part your job, you know, I say, say this to, uh, to people that we're, that we're doing premarital work with, and that, you know, the job of a parent is to raise a good husband or a good wife and a good parent. That's your job. That's what you're doing with your child. You're raising them up to be a good husband or a good wife and a good parent. Amen. That's Amen. your job. Amen. 
All right, let's shift gears a little bit. And before we shift gears, I want to tell you a true story that we heard this past week um, since we're talking on agreement. Okay, so um, we heard this secondhand, but a friend of ours who, who knows a guy that owns a restaurant back east, this friend would come to the restaurant all the time, this old, old gentleman. And I don't know, he's 70 or 80 years old, and he would talk to the proprietor of the restaurant, and he said, uh, you know, the, the, the old gentleman said, you know, I've been married for 40 years. 40 years I've been married. And so they got to talking, and finally the proprietor of the restaurant said, well, if you've been married for 40 years, you know, tell us the secret of, you know, how, you, how you've been able to be married that long. And, and the, old, the old guy goes, well, when we got married, we made a couple of rules, and he said we agreed that my wife would make all of the unimportant decisions and that I would make all of the important decisions. And he says, you know, in 40 years, there has never been an important decision. <laughs> anyway, that's not worth I'll just throw that out. So that's not what we're talking about here tonight. Okay, let's talk about steward, stewardship a little bit. We call it taking care of God's stuff because that's another area. We're talking about finances, God's stuff. Um, it's another area where strife can come in and we can get out of agreement in terms of our one flesh relationship. So, so. We want to talk about a budget, and have we made a budget, and have we ever talked about how do we spend our money, and do we take on debt? Have we, have we come into agreement about that? What do we even consider is entertainment, and how do we spend our money in terms of entertainment? Um, how much do we give to our church or others? We talked about that. I don't know. Are we taking care of God's stuff, the things that God has lent us, the things that we have temporarily in our possession, are we taking care of those things? The truth of the matter is, is that, go ahead, babe, you cover, you cover that one. Or you want me to keep going? That? Oh, I was still up here on oh, this. Okay, go for it. Part of taking care of the things in your position is, you know, we think about cars, servicing cars, and making sure that they get their, the oil changed, tires rotated, so things last longer. But that even goes all the way down to the things that you already own, like your clothing. Do we leave it on the floor or put it in the hamper when it's dirty? Do we fold it? Do, you know, what do we do with it? How do we handle the tools that we're using that work in the yard? Do we leave them outside or put them back in where they belong so they don't get rusty and have to buy a new one? I mean, all of those things, everything that our money has purchased, it's really God's money that's purchased those things for our enjoyment while we're here on this earth. And we're going we're gonna to step you through that uh, here shortly. And we're different, men and women. We've been talking about that, how different we are. And uh, in our relationship, you know, if it weren't for Greg, I'd give away everything we had. He's my restraint. You know, it's a good thing we balance each other there. And, um, you know, I'm not really one on, you know, some one person in the relationship may want to be, go out to dinner every night, 
and not cook and the other person may want to stay home and their idea of having a good time is turning on Netflix. Um, One may want to work two jobs or more so that they can have more stuff. Sacrifice family time to work in order to have more things. And the other one may have a value in family time and not have a need met there. The... um, If we take good care of what God has given us and we look at what we need versus what we want, (laughs) I think that it's a very different picture. Um, And there's a balance there between your relationship, your needs, and your wants. So let's talk about what the Bible says about stuff. Well, first of all, yeah, First Chronicles, there you go. First Chronicles, this passage that we have up on the screen. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And we have some other passages there as well. But all, all this is saying is that all of these things come from God. Now, there, now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. So all things come from God. God has all of the stuff. And... He lends it to us while we're here, some more than others, but, I mean, it's true. But we're just taking care of the things that God has given us for a while. So we're, we're to be good stewards over the things that God has given us. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. What that is actually saying is that everything that you have really belongs to God. Go ahead and throw the next one up. God expects you to use the abilities that he has given you in good and sometimes hard, honest work. And this is how he supplies our needs. Um, 1 Thessalonians says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So God wants you to work, and he doesn't want you to lack. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. I don't know. To me, it sounds like God's talking about good, hard, honest work right there. You know, there's no easy way to get the increase. Go ahead and put that. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So God honors diligence, hard work. Um, He understands those things, and Literally, he actually put us, the, the first thing that happened in the garden is that uh, God kind of outlined for Adam, these are the boundaries here, and your job, you have a job. 
go and till it, till the garden. So we need to plan how to make and spend the money that is entrusted to us by God. Proverbs 27 says that be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. So we need to understand what God has given us charge over. We need to have account of those things. God's very interesting when he when he talks about uh, when he talks about riches. He almost always numbers those riches very very in a very detailed manner. If you look at the rich people in the Old Testament, you know exactly what they owned. It's not about not you know this is exactly and so God expects us to have an understanding of of what He has given us. You want to cover any of these? It's real hard not to take on debt for a house or a car nowadays because they're so expensive. But when we talk about credit card debt, that's a whole other story. And um, you know, we should be operating as Christians, not taking on credit card debt. If we make a charge, we should be able to pay for it. And I know there's extenuating emergencies that come up that you can't, there's no way that you can plan for. But, but our goal should be to operate with as least amount of debt as we possibly can. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And this, there's no clearer picture of this than someone, um, we, we have some friends who wanted to go into the mission field, but the first thing they had to do is clear all their debt because you can't go into a mission, you know, be a missionary and have debt behind you because you're relying on, on uh, living in a foreign country, on, don't, you know, on people giving you donations. You don't have any way to pay your bills. So they had to, before they could go into the field, they had to clear all of their debt, and that took several years I think five years before they were able to clear all their debt and leave debt-free. So it prevented them from getting into the mission field sooner. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Owe no one anything. It's also, um, God wants us to give, but he wants us to give with a cheerful heart. If you can't write a check to the church without finding joy in it, without if you're doing it grudgingly, the church doesn't need that money. They only need money from people who are giving out of their heart. And uh, Proverbs 19:7, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like that word, grudgingly. That's a good one. Awesome. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor, Proverbs 22, 9. And there are so many more that we could point out and use. And I know that there's a lot of argument about 
you know, the Old Testament required tithing. The New Testament, we've been set free from the old, from the law. But it isn't about a legal, um, a legal obligation to pay a tithe. It's now about giving with a cheerful heart, giving out of wanting to see ministries grow and other things happen that God has his hand in. And when you give, you know, you give knowing that if if you're a tither and you're giving 10%, when you give it, you're giving it to your church, and your church is, um, you're trusting that the church that you belong to is being wise in in the way they're handling and distributing money, helping people within the body, helping missionaries both local and overseas, uh, meeting expenses and payroll and it takes a lot to keep a church running, a building, taxes. Well, I guess we don't have taxes, but we do have uh, electricity. And I guess we don't have water either, do we? <laughs> but let me just go forward here. And we don't need to worry about things and be unhappy with what what we what we have. I I can remember I grew up in a my dad was a marine and I grew up in a household and he wasn't an officer he was an enlisted man and you know we had my mother didn't work and we had a little we were talking about this the other day we had a little three bedroom one and a half baths there was one bathtub and shower and it was in the same bathroom and now we don't even want to look at a house unless it has two bathrooms with two showers and at least one tub, right? But we grew up very modestly, and and I thought I had everything I needed. I think our, 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 our marketing, the companies that market right now are so good at market, marketing that they create a need where no need exists. That's good. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And really that's what our life here is about, that final sentence, knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us and developing his kingdom here on earth. Matthew 6.25, Therefore I say, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Matthew 6.27. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You could say a lot about that one. I'm getting all convicted. It's awesome. Some good stuff. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
Genesis 2.25. So God expects us to take care of the things that he's entrusted to, to us. Adam and Eve were entrusted to the garden, and Adam was told, tend it, take care of it. We have been given things by virtue of how our society functions with money. We get money, and we purchase things with it, and we have those things in our home. God blessed us with a job that creates the money so that we can purchase the things that we have in our homes, our cars, our, the places we live. And we have, we have a requirement by God, an expectation that we're going to be good stewards over those things. Luke 16, 1 and 2 says, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that, that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then Luke 16, we're going to skip down to 10 and 11. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, many, who will commit to your trust the true riches? There's a lot of talk in the Bible about money and riches. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And, of course, there are things that we know that are much more valuable than money. Jeremiah 9:23:24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Luke 12:15 says and he said to them take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses There was a t-shirt in the 80s that said I I had friends who wore this t-shirt He who dies with the most toys wins And they were adult men so their toys were very large expensive toys <laughs> That's not true. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So here's the deal. Christians should apply biblical principles when it comes to to things concerning money and possessions. As a one flesh couple, we should always be in agreement on how we spend our money and how we actually earn our money. These, this is one of those areas where we really do want to be in agreement because we understand that the Lord has temporarily assigned these things that we have stewardship over to us, and we want to make sure that, as, as Jesus said in this Luke passage, that we're good stewards. And we are charged to be good stewards as a one flesh couple. Um, so we should be in agreement on how those resources are utilized at every level. 
When Greg and I were first married, we were pew sitters. That meant we came to church on Sunday, we sat in the pew, and then we left. And then we'd come back the following week and do the same thing. Sometimes we'd change it up. We'd come on a Saturday night instead of a Sunday morning. <laughs> but we didn't apply a lot of what we knew to our life. And, and it was especially evident for us at Christmas time because we just splurged big time. Lots of gifts for each other. Newly married, lots of gifts for the kids, lots of gifts for us. And when we were convicted, I don't even remember how long we were married before we were convicted about that. And what we decided to do, um, besides give most of that money away, is that we decided to put a limit on our spending for each other. So... We could spend $50. We were making good money. $50 was not a lot of money at that time for us. And so we thought $50 each. And you had to have one big present and as many little presents as you could possibly buy the other person. And so it became kind of a, a contest between us and how many deals we could find to stay under our $50. And we had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, we would give each other a box, you know, and wrap a box of Cracker Jacks, for example, and put it under the tree or whatever. But, but. Greg what, liked pistachios. Yeah. I'd give, I'd get a shirt box and wrap them real tight and some paper and so it looked like he was getting a shirt and inside was a bag of pistachios. But the point is, is that we were standing in agreement that God had convicted us that, that we were not being good stewards up until that point. And at that point, you know, we were able to take what we would normally, as Marietta say, says, we would splurge on each other. That money went to bless others. And we just had our little celebration, which i got to tell you, even today, I mean, I, I, I look back on those times and I just... I really tr- cherish those things. You know, it was modest. It was good. It was good. It's a treasure that we have today, I, you know, that we can talk about. So. And one of the, let's see, are we going to cover this? No. No, let's go. Okay. And then this part here. We have a couple of resources listed there uh, for finances if you need some help. And, and there's nothing wrong with needing help because most parents did not teach their kids, us, how to handle our money. It's the truth. So if you need some help, there's nothing to be ashamed about. You need to get the training. And so there's two resources down here. Bob and Sherry Miller actually uh, attend this church and are here usually at the first service, sometimes the second service. And they have a ministry that they've done for years helping people get their lives, their financial lives in order. And then, of course, Dave's, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We have young, we know a couple of young boys that actually, that are like teenagers now, that have been listening to it on the radio since they were like seven or eight. I'm hoping that sunk in deep to them as they become men. Yeah, as we, as we move on to the next area where we're talking about agreement, I do want to emphasize that we're talking about agreement and what we want to make sure that that we all understand is that this is one of those large areas. I'm talking about the financial area, the, the stewardship over God, God's stuff, that where we can get into disagreement very quickly. And we want you all 
to be in agreement in regards to this. One other area that we want to talk about tonight in terms of being in agreement is spiritual oneness. And what, what we mean by that is we're talking about things like, and it may not even apply to, to anybody in here, but uh, this is where we can, we can be divided. Um, you know, where do we go to church and how often do we participate in church and, and the church ministries? And um, do we participate in other ministries as well? Um, who do we fellowship with, and how often do we have fellowship with those folks? And and even down to the point where talking with our 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 partner or our spouse about you know what is our calling? It could be an individual calling, it could be a joint calling, it could be a little bit of both. Did you have something to? Am I doing good? We all have a calling. We all have a job to do in the kingdom. We're Christians. We all have a job to do, something that we're supposed to do to help move the kingdom along through the earth. And it might be in your neighborhood, it might be in your city, and it might be to the ends of the earth, across, you know, the opposite side of the globe. But all of us have a job to do. Somewhere in there, we have to figure out what is our job in the kingdom. And when we start looking at Looking at that part of our life and taking it seriously, things will begin to happen positively in our in the rest of our life. But most of us never get to the point until someone, you know, well, for us, like I said, we were pew sitters. We didn't make a job. In the, we didn't know we had to have a job in the kingdom. We didn't know we were going to do anything in the kingdom. And least of all, we never thought that we'd teach anybody anything. And here we are. So all of us have a job, and and it might be really small, and it might be really big. Maybe the only thing you want to do is help set up the church on Sunday morning or greet people at the door because you can be friendly, but we all have a job. And it's necessary that we all function together, not only in church, but outside of church you have a job. It's not just when these doors shut and you're gone in your car, but we all have something to do in the kingdom. We talk about wanting Jesus to come back and, and you know, rapture. I don't know if anybody discusses those things. We do. But, you know, it's not going to happen until everybody gets to know who Jesus Christ is. And it's not going to happen unless we, the Christians, make it happen. We have to do our part. And so what we want to talk about tonight is we want to talk about whether or not you as a one flesh couple have have actually discussed some of these things. Have you talked about the di- the level of diligence that you're going to have in terms of church participation? You can go ahead and throw that slide up there. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we want to be diligent. We want to be churchgoers, and we want to be churchgoers jointly, together, in agreement, as a one-flesh couple, because of the power that exists there. Go ahead and turn. We want to make sure that we're fellowshipping with other Christians. And I do want to qualify this statement a little bit by saying, yeah, we fellowship with other Christians, and we fellowship with other Christians in order to encourage and exhort each other. We do have an uh, we do have a charge to make sure that we are not 
a closed society. So that's not what I'm talking about. I want to make sure that I point that out. But Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. What an awesome statement by Paul. Um, So what we're doing when we say fellowship with other Christians, um, and, and as a one flesh couple, when I... When we have, when Marietta and I have an opportunity to fellowship with other like-minded couples, we are getting encouraged. We're getting recharged. We're getting built up. We're getting edified in preparation to go back out and do those things that God has called us to do in regards to the Great Commission. First Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So the other thing that we're doing as we fellowship with other believers is we are also being an example to those other believers. And and prayerfully, you know, uh, as, as Marietta and I fellowship with others, you know, do we get it right all the time in terms of our relationship? No, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to walk out an example, you know, and we're trying in these classes. We're trying to tell you the truth. But we certainly don't always get it right. Um, you want to be in agreement in terms of your ministry, making sure that you use your talents and gifts to assist your church, the body of Christ, and those who have yet to join the body as well. Um, let's, let's let's skip that one. Yeah. Second Timothy four five says. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we have a charge to fulfill our ministry. The Great Commission is fulfilled not just by our voice, but by our walk as well. And in a lot of cases, this, the walk that is testifying is not just our individual walk. It is a lot of times. But it's also this one flesh walk that testifies as well. Because people look at, at, at a, a marriage, and if they're an unbeliever and they see a married couple that, that seems to really be walking it out, again, there's something that they desire there. And if you have Christ at the center of your one flesh relationship and you're walking it out very well, it testifies. It testifies to the unbeliever. Did you have something there? Yeah. Um, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So the Great Commission is fulfilled not just by our voice. We're not going to go out and necessarily just preach it. But we're going to fulfill that commandment from Jesus, by Jesus by our unspoken deeds, our actions, um, to not only, not only to the seekers, but also to the believers as well. Okay. Let's cut to the practical stuff. And some of the things that we're going to teach here in terms of reaching agreement 
Um, I, I think it's highly likely that you haven't heard these things before, but again, we're talking about things that are important things that we have to reach agreement on. Amos 3.3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? So what we want to talk about tonight is being able to walk together. Mm -hmm. Amen? We all know that you can't, you're not going to get to a decision if you're fighting. So you've got to be calm, and you may need to just let it set, lay it down, let it go overnight, or maybe a few overnights. Um, you want to make sure that you think about the boundaries that we set for arguing, conflict, and stick with those. You need to apply them right here, right now. And... We, what you really want to try to do is understand where the other person is coming from. So you're almost going to conduct an interview so that you get to the root of why they feel one way and you feel another about the decision. Why are you at odds here? Don't think of your position while you're conducting the interview. Think about what the – just it's fact-finding. What's the other person – what are their needs? What are they seeing that you might be missing? And, and husbands have a hard time with this one because it appears that you're being drilled down. But really, it's because men are not usually as in touch with their feelings and their, their, their depth as women are. And so when a wife is... No, that, no that's a, good. A wife is drilling down on her husband, the husband's going to feel like, what, I got the spotlight tied to the chair and, you know, wait a minute, that's Sicilian. Um, got the handcuffs <laughs> <laughs> in a brightly lit room with a mirror in front of me. You know, what is this, an interrogation? And it, it isn't really, it's not an interrogation it, and it's not an inquisition. It is truly a fact-finding mission. You have to think about it that way. Right, and and and. and and that's really a good point. The other thing, remember we talked about this last week in practical communication, that typically a guy will go right off and go, man, I'm going to fix this. Well, when you're in the mode of reaching agreement on a big issue with your spouse, you have to get out of that. Men, you have to get out of that mindset. This is really where we're trying to find out about each other and each other's uh, understanding and view of the of the circumstance that we're considering. Right, and emotions have no place in this yeah. fact finding. You want to set your emotions aside. You want to approach this very clinically, um, the way that a doctor who has to tell a lot of people that they're dying, you know, he doesn't tear up, and start crying. He just is very factual. Here are the facts. Well, that's what you're trying to do: is get to the facts, leave emotion aside. And I know sometimes that can be difficult to do, especially for women, but that, that, and that really has to happen for each of you to get a good, clear picture of what, what perspective the other person has. Um, Go ahead. Let me make that last point. Oh, yeah. and, and when it's your turn to be the one that's being um, interviewed, you want to make sure that you do as everything you can to explain to your spouse why you're coming at the decision from where you're coming at, at it from so that they can see your perspective. And be open, both of you, to learning something about the other person through this 
Amen. Yeah, we're talking about making a godly, large decision that affects not only not only you and your one flesh relationship, but probably the entire kingdom kingdom of God and and maybe your children and and maybe eternal decisions. So, what we want to do is we want to pray together and separate about these decisions. Okay, this could be, but it you made that sound like it was like so important that this was reserved. This this could no be, no no it could be smaller than that. Yeah, I mean, it might not be eternal. Yeah. Might be, you know, <laughs> semi-internal. <laughs> it can be anything where you're having a hard yeah. time agreeing on what to do. So, so we want to pray together as well as separately. Um, Greg only wishes that it was only for those decisions that we had to do <laughs> the interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of times when we get ready to pray in this in in this type of circumstances, we actually will speak our prayer aloud and we will pray that that um, we pray to silence the voice of the enemy and we pray that we would be able to lay down any fleshly desires that we might have because we're actually seeking God's will in these situations um, okay. and of course in your prayer you're going to ask God to give you wisdom and to show his will to both of you and he won't give you different answers so if you get different answers one of you didn't hear and you got to keep going back both of you have to keep going back because you could be the one that heard wrong because our flesh can talk to us and the enemy can talk to us Uh, and you have to believe in this process you have to believe and trust that god is going to speak in his timing and in his way now one thing that we've we've got a slide there uh Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But be still and know that I am God. So we need to allow time to hear God's voice during these circumstances. And then the big thing is when you're listening for God's voice, it may come. In the strangest ways. And we have listed out a ton of different ways. Um, can come from other people that know nothing about you, that tell you something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how'd they know what we were praying about that? Well, they don't. God just told them to say something to you, or God knew they were going to say something to you, and you got your answer, or not. <laughs> and the, the situation we had we had a situation where Greg had quit his job to take on this new business we had started, and I was running out of time to do it during my one day off a week. So uh, he hated his job. It was terrible, and he's never not had a job. So when he quit, he was like a caged cat. No, I wasn't. Yeah, you no, were. I don't like that. Yeah, you were. It had big, to be something angry. different. They're like, oh, okay. not, a, not a cage. You I don't know. He was having a hard time with it. Well, me. I was. But, but God had told us, you know, we had prayed about it, and we both had a piece about him quitting. Now, when it actually happened, and he was at home, and he was supposed to be getting this business going, and I'm on the road working, that was quite a different story for a man, because God created men to work. Don't we know it? And so he... Um, 
I guess you were doing that. You were doing our business for about two or three months. Uh-huh. We had we don't have any money yet from the business. It t- it's a long lead time in the business we had started, and I found out I was going to lose my job in about six weeks, unless we moved to Arizona. We were living in Colorado at the time. Now we've lived in Arizona twice, so. And we liked Arizona. A lot of people don't like it, but we did like it. And so we were so excited. We were all but doing the happy dance when I found out. But I told my boss, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pray about it. Greg and I will pray about it. And I'm, can I call you in the morning? And he said, yes. So we pray about it. Well, we have actually applied exactly the, the, the points in this lesson. What we did is we came together because this is now a big issue, right? This is a this is a major decision. We need to be in total agreement. We need to know that we're hearing from the Lord God Almighty about this. So we do what we outlined in this lesson, and we come together. We silence the voice of the enemy. We lay, we, we put down our flesh, um, and we say, Lord, we want to hear from you and you alone. That's all. You speak to us, Lord. We're going to hear from you. And uh, what, in the morning? I was pretty sure I'd heard. Greg asked me, did you hear? And I said, yep. I said, how about you? And he said, yep. And he goes, what's your answer? I said, that we're not supposed to go. And he said, that's exactly what I heard. Okay, that meant now we're going to be two people with no income, and we have a car, a house that we're paying on. You know, we do like to eat. Both of us like to eat. And we're a bit worried because we know the lead time on the business money is still months and months away. So, um, but we knew that God had clearly told us not to do it. And in the flesh, that seems like the most stupid decision two people could ever make. But we were sure that we had heard from God. And what ended up happening is the person that took that job, I lost my job at the end of that year, which was six weeks away. And the... The person that ended up taking that job, four months later, lost their job because that company pulled out of that state as well. So God was protecting us because if we had made that transition, we would have had to pay for a good part of the move ourselves and, of course, the sale of our house and everything else. We probably would not have been able to financially recover from that devastation for a really long time. So... God knew exactly where he wanted us. I had a job before my other job ever ended here in Granbury. And that's how we ended up in Granbury. Awesome. It was awesome. So let's talk about how God may bring agreement. Um, Like Marietta described, uh, we prayed, got up the following morning, and and the Lord had talked to us. And and, um, we knew that that was the Lord's answer. If you're hearing different answers, obviously you need to keep praying. Just that simple. Because he's going to bring you it's one God, one Holy Spirit. He's going to speak with one voice. Now, he may do some things here in terms of bringing you into agreement with your spouse. He may bring you both to the same conclusion. He may tell you to compromise. He may. Um, he may tell you to lay down your desire for that of your spouse. God may open a door or close a door. He might bring conviction to one or both of you in regards to what he wants you to do. 
Um, or he may send a mediator to you or somebody that brings you wise, a wise word or wise counsel. He sent, one time Greg and I were trying to make this decision. God sent us a mediator. We didn't even know that this person was sent as a mediator. Um, It was one of my friends, and she was visiting from another state. And we were having, whatever he was saying, I wasn't hearing, I guess. But I couldn't, we could not come to an agreement. And we had a deadline coming up when we had to make a decision. And I told you, I've been, I've told you in the beginning I can go all Sicilian. Well, I was all Sicilian about that, too. And I had dug my heels in, and I wasn't going to move because I was not doing what, what we were not going to do with what he, Greg had been telling me we were going to do. And the issue was I, that I had actually heard from the Lord on this one. The right. Lord had given me a word that I wrote down. And my friend sensed that there was something going on, even though... It wasn't affecting us as far as we weren't mad at each other or anything like that. We just, you know, when we talked about it, it was kind of like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to agree to that. I just, it's not happening. And when we, when she must have sent something, she goes, look, is there something going on that I can help you guys with? And we're like looking at each other like, what? <laughs> and, and she goes, you know, do you need some, is there something I can help you with? And I'm thinking, what could she help us with? And then it, it dawned on both of us at the same time this decision. So she said, okay, well, listen, you tell me what you're trying to say. And so he told her, and then she said, okay, let me tell you what he's saying. And it wasn't what I was hearing. Not even close. Completely different. And I'm like, well, I don't have any problem with that. Man, you know. I, you know, (sighs) there's a passage in the word that calls the devil the prince of the air. And if you had told me that this could happen a month before this happened, a week before it happened, the day before it happened, or the morning of the day that it happened, I would have told you, there's just no way. But I was there. I heard what he said to her, and then I heard her tell me what he said. And, and they weren't she, the same thing. And then she says, well, I don't have a problem with it. Well, it's the same thing that I've been saying for a month, no doubt about it. And I'm like... I am looking at her like the RCA Victrola dog. Like, what? You know? But so God sent a mediator to help us. And, 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 and there may be a time where you need a mediator, somebody to come alongside you and make sure that you're hearing each other properly. 